0: I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit for survivors of spiritual abuse. At Tears of Eden, we hope to provide community and resources to help people navigate the devastating aftermath of experiencing spiritual abuse in evangelical spaces. The injustice of abuse is bad enough, but on the other side, survivors are often burdened with their own care and recovery of something that was never their fault. Tears of Eden hopes to help alleviate this burden, which is where you come in. If you're a part of this community, either by listening to the podcast or interacting with the material online, I'd like to ask you to consider giving a donation. You can do that by visiting tearsofeden.org support. I'll also place that link in the show notes. Today's guest is Amy Bird. If you run in the reformed circles of the evangelical world, you've probably read some of her work. Her books include Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, Why Can't We Be Friends, and "No Little Women.
1: Because these are the people who are called to care for the sheep. They're called to lay their lives down, not, you know, protect themselves and give themselves cover. It is the opposite of shepherding. We can have, you know, chuck our theology down the list, but I, I don't believe you if, right. if there's no love and no Christ in the way that you shepherd and treat people.
0: On Monday, April 5th, Amy wrote an open letter to the OPC, her denomination, addressing abuse in the OPC and specifically addressing the way the leadership was handling it. I'll link to that letter in the show notes. This interview will specifically address that letter and the abuse and public slandering Amy experienced that led her to writing it. Before jumping into the interview, I want to offer a framework for listening. It's pretty easy when we hear about abuse in a church to dismiss it with something like, oh, well, of course it's that denomination, or yeah, that happened in that church over there, but it would never happen in my church. When you listen today, this isn't about one denomination. On a regular basis, I hear stories like the stories Amy shares. Abuse can happen anywhere at any time to anybody, and to say it would never happen here is the sort of place of users target because you're not paying attention. With that in mind, here's my interview with Amy Bird. How are you? How are you doing? <laughs>
1: I'm doing pretty
0: good, how about you? I am doing okay, doing okay. I started a nonprofit, a community resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. And in the past like two weeks, it's just like really hitting me like this huge need. Like it's just, it's colossal. And yeah, and I've just been, I've been crying a lot the past couple of days just because I think it's just like the overwhelm of it. And it's not even like, oh, I have to do it all. It's just, this is not okay. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just, it shouldn't be happening. But I know you you have borne so much of that in your story. So I know you know what it feels like. So how are you doing in that department? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm in the same, you know, it's, it's one thing to handle it
1: yourself and to go through it yourself. But then since my case was so public, there's just been women reaching out to me, you know, sharing their stories. And I think, holy crap, you know, like I can't sleep at night. Sometimes it's just, it's way so heavy. And you just think, what can we do? What can we do? Right. And why aren't the leaders, the ones who can't sleep at night? Right. Yeah. Why are like, we- it blows my mind? Right.
0: Why are yeah. we the ones having to raise this? Why is it on the shoulders of the victim uh, yeah it's just atrocious yeah we had kind of ch- chatted about this on email a little bit but i met you at a mm-hmm. pca presbytery meeting in virginia i worked at a church in dc and my two co- co-workers heard that you were going to be there and they were like amy bird amy bird and so they wanted to go because you were there <laughs> i had never heard of you but I was just thinking, mm-hmm. women representing at Presbytery, hell yes, I'm going. And so what's, <laughs> uh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, like, I'm going. And so I remember, so this is like four years ago, but it's very vivid in my yeah. mind. I just remember this experience of going and it's all, you know, white men over 40, tons and tons and tons of them. I remember that feeling. No, nobody, <laughs> spoke nobody spoke to us. Nobody It was Mm. almost like they were trying to pretend we weren't there. And we didn't even sit in the back. Like, we sat in the back, in the back, in the back of the back. In, like, the tables and the chairs and, like, the way, way back. And it was just like this. Yeah, you were, like, off to the side. Yeah, and I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, if it's intimidating to just be here, like, oh, my gosh, what must it be like for her to address this group of dudes? And then you were speaking particularly (laughs) on something around women, right? Like women in leadership or something? Yeah.
1: Equipping women in the church.
0: Yeah. So what was it like for you to speak there? And then do you do that a lot? I don't do that a lot.
1: I have, you know, I can think of, I can remember each time that I've been invited to do something like that, but particularly the PCA and particularly that presbytery, you know, before I went, you know, I'm saying to my husband, as I'm kind of like working on what I'm going to say, I was like, you know, I have some hard things I want to say, you know, like what I see in their churches when I come and speak and you know, how the women aren't being invested in, like, I want to say that. And but I don't know how I'll be received, you know, and if they'll like me very much. And my husband's like, so what? You got invited to do it. You know, they invited you, exactly. you know, that's who you are, you know, you get up there and you say it. So I said, okay. And yeah, you know, tried to be whimsical or whatever in, in how I presented it, but it came, I remember when I first got there, because they even told me, I think there's going to be some women coming. And when I first got there, none not of y'all were there yet. I went, came for the worship too. And it was like so painfully obvious of just the male power, like when we began singing. I mean, I was the only female voice. And so that was just very intimidating. It was nice to Literally know. the
0: only female voice.
1: yeah with all these men saying, I've never heard such a thing in my life, but I did sit next to a pastor that I knew and trusted. So that was nice. But when I got there to speak, you know, you also think, well, he's never heard me speak before, you know, like hate. but it came time for Q and a, I'm like, okay, well, now we're going to find out, you know, right. They hate me. And, yeah. you know, it seemed interesting that they were, there were some light bulbs going off of, of actual personal issues, problems going on in their churches and how right. they were related to what I was talking about. And I mean, they had to cut off the Q&A for lunch. There were still a lot of people with their hands raised. So I felt like like it resonated with a lot of them. But you know, one talk isn't going to be enough. But I did remember feeling so validated when, and I don't know if this was your pastor or not, because he was from DC, raised his hand. And he, you know, he was at least over 50, maybe five. And he said, in all my years of seminary,
0: presbytery, any trainings I've been through, I've never heard this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So admitted this is not something that we're here. We don't get we yeah. don't get taught this. This is not something that is brought up. Well, yeah, because it's a self-perpetuating situation when there's yeah. men and the men and the men and the men. Yeah. Well, I remember, I mean I don't again I don't remember specifics of what you shared but I do remember thinking, "Oh, I'm so glad she's sharing this." And then be like you were so gracious and it was just like for me at the time in a leadership position, in a church, experiencing it, but not experiencing the the gender discrimination in this male-dominated church, but not really knowing what it was. So I just, I remember really appreciating that. And so I'm very, very excited to get to chat with you today. I, I, timing-wise, your open letter to the OPC went out, I guess, Monday this week. So for folks listening in the, the there's a lot of different branches in the Presbytery or, or in the Presbyterian realm, OPC, EPC, PCA, PCUSA. And they tend to have a, a church government, which is a session, a regional government, which is a presbytery. And then there's the General Assembly, which is the over the, the, the United States, basically. And so when these are yes. filed... You file with your session, you file with your presbytery, you file with the You have to go through each process first from the bottom up. So it could
1: take two years, really, if you need to go to General Assembly.
0: Mm -hmm. I would love to just hear what summary of events leading up to you feeling the need to write this. Since my
1: case with the OPC has been very public, you know, not really by choice, but the way that I was being publicly reviled and, you know, the calling ahead of my speaking engagements and and all that was unfolding on social media with the Geneva and Commons group. And then on a lesser level, because I don't think this is necessarily abusive, but on the lesser level, the way I was let go at the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, like just all of that was very public. So I was Fighting back publicly with the OPC stuff, particularly because these are officers in my denomination, and and I felt like this is disqualifying. Like if this is if this is how leaders are able to behave in my denomination, well then you know I got to rethink some things here right. because um, it seems pretty basic, right? So I did, did you give an example you know,
0: of some of the stuff that they were saying.
1: Oh sure. So you know I was it started it started the light language was like feminist outrage machine and things like never this I and mean, me just this. Call, just yeah. calling me a feminist but then it, it escalated into calling me ungodly you know saying that I was never you know I'm not reformed I'm not catholic in the small c sense of the word I'm I'm ungodly I'm Jezebel they started making you know this group started escalating that was like a private facebook group but it had 1100 members and a lot of them were church officers in different denominations in napark but it was administrated by some church officers in, in my denomination and it wasn't just me they were targeting i you know i was a main target but they were after you know different women and men there were some very misogynistic comments you know even they even sh- a, a link saying you know this is Misogynistic quotes by the church fathers and you know all these different misogynistic quotes. And and they said, you know, why can't we go back to this kind of thing? They were talking about how, you know, women don't have the same logic capabilities that men have. So they're making some, you know, why can't they just shut up and make us a sandwich? You know, these kind of things. And then they were making some racist comments too that were were horrible. And you know, I, I might you know hold to the biblical position that homosexuality is a sin, but I would never want to talk about homosexuals in the way that they were talking about them. On, right. the, on in that group, it was it was hateful. It was hate speech. It, it took away their very dignity um, and personhood. Anyway, so stuff that they were doing with me, they started it started escalating beyond the name calling to like I was speaking at an event at the Machen Center for my denomination's women's retreat for their twentieth anniversary. the women's retreat there and so i guess the matron center advertised it and they kind of screenshot that and put it in their group and you know beware guard your families and your churches and then it was like we're calling you know they're starting to organize people calling their churches and and calling the churches in their area and warning them and you're Um, in this group so in the Way back, I was added in this group when the administrator actually liked me. He started not liking me when we had Dr. Valerie Hobbs on uh, the Mortification of Spin podcast, because she had reported on a trial that he was involved in, where a man was charged, charged in the church, and he lost his job at Greenville Seminary for not forcing his chronically ill elderly wife to go to the evening service on Sundays. Wow. For being a bad leader in his family. And he was removed. Yeah. And he appealed the charges. And so it went all the way to the General Assembly. And so Valerie Hobbs reported on that experience, which, you know, revealed a lot of, you know, a lot of junk. And he ended up winning his case in General Assembly. But what victory is there? He lost his job. He had to pay so much to go through that over the last couple of years. You know, it's not like he's going to go back to the church anyway. So when we had her on to talk about women in the church is when I became the new enemy, number one, who's spreading feminism in the church. So then, you know, my book, Why Can't We Be Friends came out, they, you know, really went crazy over that. And, you know, we're doing stuff on Twitter and everything. But when Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood came out, you know, that's when they really took it to this other level of organizing the calling ahead of my speaking engagements. You know, there was a post about how there need to be offensive and defensive measures taken against me. And it wasn't said what, like, the offensive measures are in the works, it said, but those were not spoken of there. So that's terrifying. Right. Um, see, I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. They kicked me out when I stood up for myself in that group and, and kind of said, hey, you know, you guys are church officers. I got tagged. I didn't even pay attention to the group. I just just added in way before Facebook made you accept the invitation, you know, they could just right. add you in. And I was added in a lot of groups just because I was an author and I just kind of, yeah. pay t- you know, couldn't keep up with them all. Well, I get tagged. They're kind of trashing me in there, calling me the feminist outreach machine and all that. So I'm like, hey, you know, you guys are church officers. I would appreciate if you don't speak to me that way kind of thing. And I get kicked out. So the group continues though. And a woman who was in there ended up sharing a bunch of screenshots with me um, saying you deserve to see this. And it was horrifying to see. They were just coming in day and night all day long. Hundreds uh, of comments, tons of posts, Um, Like, do these people even sleep? (laughs) You know, like what's going on? But so these offensive measures, it didn't say what they were. They were just in the works. And then defensively, they were, you know, that's where they were organizing on there to sabotage my Amazon page by not buying many copies, maybe buying two copies of the book and mailing it to each other and helping each other give one star reviews. So it's all this kind of stuff. So I did present it when I was, you know, when I was made aware of all this and I was made aware of, all this, the week before, I had to drive to the Matron Center. And so right. that was also terrifying. I didn't know if they were going to be there. You know, some of them were right. within that vicinity. You were, like, kind of physically scared, like... Yeah, I mean, they joked scared. around about having a Genevan Commons meet up there. And plus, I didn't know who was even going to show up after all these phone calls, you know, how suspect I was in coming. It was, you know, terrifying. Right. So anyway, that all happened. And... I presented it to my elders and I started to combat it some publicly as well. And there are some in the denomination who reached out to me who I did not know. After I shared the Geneva Commons screenshot website that came on kind of exposing this whole group, I shared that website on my blog. And it got a, a lot of traction. Let me tell you, like, I'd only ha- I only been on my blog for like, I don't know, maybe a week or so. The timing of that just, I don't even know how it happened like that. But I started my new blog after being let go at the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And literally like a week later, this website goes live. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm sharing it. So yeah. I share it and it was, I mean, exploded. It, it just went viral. And so then there were some some men in my denomination, church officers, you know, experienced ones who've been in, you know, 30 to 50 years, you know, reaching out to me, very concerned that there's a problem here and something needs to be done. And, and so then there were, you know, these attempts at charges and things that I've been kind of documenting on my website. I've been documenting the, the public part of it, you know, these trials are public. So I document the public part of it. I, I don't get to Well, I don't, I've chosen not to document a lot of the private stuff, but it's been a lot to go through and to see how the process really doesn't protect the vulnerable at all. And to see how a whole presbytery can, you know, it doesn't matter anyway. You know, if they don't like you, they don't like you. I have been talked about horribly on the presbytery floor and I'm not even there to defend myself, you know, as if I'm the one on trial. They reduced everything. You know, first of all, they only only three men were charged. There's, there's more officers in my denomination who were involved in this. One of the charges got totally dropped against one of the the preachers because they didn't think there was enough to charge him, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, this man actually went on Facebook and with a picture of my pastor on my church website saying, calling for people to call my elders and put a stop to me. Wow. Yeah.
0: Apparently that's okay for a pastor to do. And that charge was dropped.
1: Yeah, and he was also the why can't, you know, they just shut up and make sandwiches guy. And, you know, like yeah. all kinds of, he was an administrator of the website uh. so or of the group. And I've seen how there aren't ways to address the heart of the matter when it comes to abuse. Yeah. You know, the charges get parsed into single comments. Yes. And without the context that's all surrounding it. So and it has post- like a Bible, ver- like a Bible support too, right? Like, which, it, you know, I can kind of get that part about it, but so it gets reduced. And so this one pastor who was charged, all the things that he had said about, he'd written a five part series on feminism in the OPC and named three women, me, Valerie Hobbs, who's not in the OPC anymore. And, and Rachel Miller And as the generals of the feminist army. Okay. And he went on to some terrible name calling, you know, really tying it to horrible biblical language, you know, and a call of arms against us. And all of that got reduced to two words. He was charged for calling just Rachel and I raging wolves. Mm. That's all I got charged for Mm. against us. He even preached a whole sermon on the perfect hatred of God,
0: Mm. which
1: this sermon's atrocious. There's an actual congregation sitting under this sermon where he's preaching on Psalm 139. And what he takes out of it is the perfect hatred of God. And his application is that there's feminism in the OPC. And we need to have the perfect hatred of God against these feminists, whom he's already named in his articles, right? And it's not so, hard to
0: make the connection.
1: Oh, no. And then at the end of the sermon, he says, you know, if you're ashamed of this sermon, then I'm ashamed of you. And and I, God hates you. His son hates you. And I hate you. with the perfect hatred kind of thing. That's how the sermon ended. Wow. Talk wow. about total despair, a, a message of total despair. Right. Right. That wow. wasn't, that got dropped. That was in the charges and oh, got you, Jim, that got dropped. They said it was too vague. The charge was not loving his neighbor. And that sermon was one of the specifications. And they said, that's too big.
0: Oh, goodness.
1: So, I don't know, each time these charges are brought, you know, before they even, before charges even came, they, instead of pressing charges, the presbytery, because all three of these men were in the same presbytery, they decided, well, we'll put together a commit a committee to investigate this, you know, because the screenshot website isn't evidence enough. So they put together this committee, but weeks go by. And, you know, there was an open letter on my blog of, church officers in the OPC calling this out as ungodly, you know, this behavior against the women in their denomination and over 90 church officers in the OPC signed it. So that was a pretty big deal. That's In the perfect hatred sermon. This pastor actually called them out as, you know, you know, I forget what he said, but he said that they lied and he said something else. I don't know. But then he was talking about the feminism in the church that the godly men were fighting against so they end up calling, you know, the signers of this letter and kind of interrogating them instead of, hey, let's reach out to the victims to <laughs> see um, how this has impacted the signers.
0: Them. We'll talk to the signers. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They called the signers instead and like, what are you doing? So it's just been so many instances where I've seen, you know, it all comes at my cost. And, and then what actual justice looks like is pathetic the heart of the matter has never gotten to you know this is now going to go to ga because there were some that one pastor he was found guilty for calling us ruthless wolves and his censor for that was just to be admonished Uh, he wasn't even rebuked Mm. and then he was also found guilty and this is the whole reason why they strong arm went to court with the guy ecclesial court (laughs) trial um, is because he actually threw the whole presbytery under the bus in a letter he wrote to his congregation to defend himself. And so he was found guilty for that. And that he got two years suspension for. for so for offending, them once, for offending them once, he got two years suspension. For piles of stuff against us over years, he got an admonition. So there was a complaint filed about that, mm-hmm. the message that sends in the church is that we only care about, you know, those in power.
0: Authority, yeah, authority Yeah, and power. yeah. Um, very obvious, very obvious. There was a complaint filed about
1: the way that I was spoken about on the presbytery floor during that trial. And there was a complaint filed about the charges that were dropped about one of the other pastors who, you know, is still going on preaching and teaching about male hierarchy and, these other things those were all denied at the presbytery meeting so now it's going all the way to general assembly but i mean so what so what if they win the the complaints in general assembly damage has been done the damage is already done and there's still these men in power being enabled to continue to do this stuff
0: yeah and there's no reparations yeah and i and i keep seeing this is similar to your story and this is something that I keep seeing when victims do decide to come forward. They're not coming forward on a win. At least any Mm-mm. case that I have seen, they have evidence. They have yeah. multiple witnesses. A lot of times they have documents. I had so many receipts. Yeah. They have they have recordings, they have screenshots. They're not and they're and they're coming forward in fear and trembling because this is a pastor usually that they're speaking about. Right. There's many people that you're speaking about. And so they're not coming forward on a win. And you mentioned this in your article, which I will link to in the show notes, that that at best they get ignored. And and at worst they get they get re-traumatized. And yeah. Again. And, well,
1: and and they could be charged. Exactly. You know. Um,
0: <laughs> and for so accusing
1: godly great, ministers.
0: Great risk. Victims are coming forward at great personal cost, a lot of times because this is not okay. And we don't want to see this happening to other people. We have to come forward. Right. And so, and then the onus is put on them to kind of prove things. And then Mm -hmm. we keep seeing these situations where the presbytery, the other people in power tend to rally around the abuser and the other pastor in power. Yeah. Why? I mean, it's obvious question, but why do you think this happens and like keeps happening? over and, over, and oh,
1: over I think that I think that well first of all these guys are friends Funny. you know and it abuse is a complex thing you know people don't t- tend to treat the people that agree with them you know and acknowledge and respect their power the same as they would treat people who disagree with them or who are challenging any of that. So you know people will say to me oh but this is such a nice guy co- you know such a nice person. Wade Mullen in his book, Something's Not Right, I forget, he's quoting a Russian, I can't remember his name, but Ivan something, right? <laughs> yes. And he's like, the devil doesn't come in the room wearing black boots, you know, like you, yes. it's not easily identifiable. So they groom certain people and they, got, they have lots of friends. So, you know, on the outside, the image could be very different than what's going on. So that's one thing. I think you want to assume the best about people anyway. I think that there's a suspicion of the female voice in mm-hmm. reformed churches and bef- I wouldn't have said that before so so blatantly I would hate to make such a blanket statement but the fact is that you know I've, I've come to a lot of you know quote unquote good men who still had a really hard time listening to me because of what I was saying and because I think they're so used to you know they go to school with all men and all male teachers, they read books by male theologians, you know, and they're with their elders who are all men, they close their doors and make their important decisions. And we're just not before them, you know, so they are missing so much of the other perspective not that there's just only a male and a female perspective but even the perspective of different classes different races the perspective of different you know marginalized experiences you have to you have to be taught that by listening and asking questions and if yeah. that voice isn't invited in if that voice is shut out you just don't you're blind to it
0: mm-hmm.
1: so there's that blindness there and there's the there is a suspicion i mean I can't tell you like, and you know, when I wrote my book, No Little Women, you know, in some ways you're tiptoeing around, you know, trying, what is the nicest way I can say that you're not investing in the women, you know, like Mm -hmm. without you thinking that I'm trying to usurp your authority. Like women are always thinking that, you know, like who want to contribute in the church in some way and be invested in it, not be a threat. Yes. And so there's also this, you know, they think everyone is Potiphar's wife when it comes to, to accusations against ministers about sexual sin, you know, and the statistics show quite the opposite. So there's this, there's this lack of trust for some reason. And, you know, even in something like I was just doing another interview with Josh McNall and he was talking to me about the Trinity debate, which erupted on my blog in 2016. And that was another thing.
0: creation of the sun, is that right? Yes. And
1: um, that, that started on my blog. Of course, I had to invite a man to come speak about it for it to, you know take wind but there were you know me and other women you know, particularly Rachel Miller who had, who had been critiquing this and ignored and and then you know so I very much was a part of starting this trinity debate and was you know writing articles at the same time Yet, if you Google it, all the men are going to come up, you know, anybody summarizing it, it's going to be all the, all the male discussion. And I was talking to, to Josh McNall about this and he said, it's it's just like the resurrection. It's like the women at the resurrection coming to the disciples and saying, he's not there, you know, he's risen. And they're like, oh no, no, no. <laughs>
0: this is foolish talk. <laughs> right, right. Until right. we get, until we see it, we won't believe it. Had to go. Yeah. <laughs>
1: oh, okay. So I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah. It, it is like that in a way. So I think that there's this distrust of the female voice. And then there's also, you know, there's a certain, you know, and I'm using buzzwords here now, which they're good words. So I'm going to use them, but, you know, people want to categorize you for using them. And there is this privilege that you have when you're in power. And it's, it's interesting just how tightly they want to hold on to that. And I think what they're, you know, some people's empowers views of authority is, And, and the notion of power, I have found to, you know, it's a huge dynamic in all of this, which is odd because I guess coming from a position where I've never had that kind of power in the church, you know, and I never, I don't, you know, I'm never going to be a preacher and I'm never going to be an elder and I'm pretty okay with it. You know, like I'm living a pretty good life. Yeah. (laughs) I don't need to, so, but when you challenge, like when you say, you know what? This person, I don't think is qualified to be an elder. They don't meet the qualifications. Maybe they should be shepherded instead of shepherding. That's like the worst thing you can do. Why is that? Is take their power from them. But, you know, you only say that, you know, I've only said it in situations where they're actually the takers, you know, that's what abuse is. It's taking yes. from others what isn't yours.
0: For your own gratification, take.
1: yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's very interesting. It's been very bizarre to see that kind of dynamic of.
0: Yeah, so. That, how you're wrapped of- up in that identity. So in your, your article, you also mentioned like, don't like, don't try and deal with these things yourself like go to outside sources bring in well so Uh, yeah
1: what I found because and you know this isn't something I'm gonna really talk a lot about but I was dealing with this on a public level and in the broader level of the OPC but I also am dealing with this in a local level because one of the men involved in that group was an elder of mine wow so we've gone through it at my own church and that has been far more painful than the public stuff. And that's not something I'm really talking about publicly, but I will say that what I found all in all levels. And then now from hearing from so many other women and my denomination and other denominations that there's absolutely no training for pastors on abuse. They get none,
0: none, zero. So
1: absolutely. they don't know. They don't or have the training. Yeah. No, none. Yeah. So they don't know how to to spot abuse well, how to navigate through it, you know, how quickly that needs to be nipped in the bud because of how destructive it is. Looking for the things about care for the victims through abuse and, and trauma and all these things, they don't even understand. They've never been taught how traumatic it is to be abused by someone in spiritual authority, which... Right. You know, for me, that that was kind of a shocker for me too. I mean, I think of myself as having tough skin. You know, I, I had to, to come in writing these books. But when this happened to me, I, I have to tell you, like, I just, you know, especially at the local level, I felt like these... Symptoms that I didn't know what was wrong with me, like why can't I concentrate? Why can't I sleep at night? What is happening to my body? Why is it screaming to go home on the way to church? You know, and there were just this weight that was on there's so much hard things to articulate. I couldn't read, you know, anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't enjoy the things that I enjoyed. Like my children are talking to me and I'm like not zoned in on what they're saying. So these are things that you just you couldn't understand unless you experienced them, but then you know people in, in, in leadership positions need to know this. They mm. need to know the, the, the power that they have over people because when you go to others who are, it's just such a, a deep betrayal of trust, you know, a deep violation of trust that I really have a lot of respect for the position. So, you know, you think these are the people who are authorized to care for your soul. And then when they harm you, It is it just rocks your world. So And you're referring very specifically to spiritual abuse right now. Right. Spiritual abuse. And you know, I've talked to victims of sexual abuse and spiritual abuse who have said and I've read research where it shows
0: that the trauma is very similar. Very similar. Because it's it's just this deep violation of trust. And it's a um, whole damaging.
1: Yeah, it really is. So, you know, I think that leaders in the church need to learn about the the damage that they can do. And then also the damage then that's actually being done to a victim so that they shouldn't be made to be under that authority that's abusive to them for another year or two while we're going through this process.
0: Like, right. what in the world, you know? A requirement as you're filing charges, so you
1: can't just like in the
0: Presbyterian Church, you
1: you can't just remove somebody, yeah, because they're abusive. You can't do that. You have to go through yeah. this whole process. And like I said, everything gets parsed. You can't charge them for abuse, you know. You have to do these, you know, specific things. So which. You have, you know, I think you should be able to prove your case, but, you know, abusers, their tactics are so manipulative and so good. And they're, they know how to manipulate.
0: They're not accidents. These are intentional. No,
1: they know how to manipulate the book of church order very well in their favor. And it, it doesn't protect victims very well. So there is, there is something in the book of discipline that says, if charges are being filed against an elder and there are extenuating circumstances, you can the session can vote to have them kind of benched during the process. Mm-hmm. So that is something, a protective measure that is but good. the session has to vote on it. The session has to vote on it. And not only that, you have to get to the point where someone's been, has filed charges at this point. And let me tell you, people don't want to file charges right away, you know, right. and, and for good reasons, in some ways, like you want to be able to handle things informally. Like the whole goal, the whole time is, you know, a big goal is repentance and restoration. So, how long are you going to pursue that, though? When someone's abusing, do victims have to be made to reconcile with a, a spiritual abuser, right? Who's unrepentant? You know, like how how long do you go through that? It it could be months to a year before you even get to the stage of formal charges where you can even do that. So,
0: mm-hmm. yes, it is a messy process that does not favor victims at all. Well, not
1: only that, like. I have a, a wonderful husband who's been very supportive and you know f- fighting with me. So you know, women who so many women have come forward with abusive husbands um, mm-hmm. or husbands who are you know habitually cheating on them. And if they they really aren't afforded, if they have abusive husbands, they're not afforded the luxury of even using the system, the formal system. Exactly. If yeah. if the elders don't, if the mm-hmm. elders are sending her back. Like we're not taught how to draw official complaints. For right. the presbytery or for you the know, session, to like you don't have to yeah. do that. And if you don't do it right, then it's going to get thrown out. Yeah. And you know, it's all this weird ecclesial yeah. ancient Lord, language, according to line 2B3 specification four, you know? So if you don't do that right, it's thrown out. But then how impossible is it? Like one woman said to me, Who's going to drive me to the presbytery meeting? which is usually in a different state and it takes a whole Saturday. Who's going to take care of my children and all my responsibilities. You know, don't you think my husband's going to show up to that? And how am I going to be able to go back home after that? What am I going home to, you know? Right. And what if I go through all this only to find out that the whole presbytery is sympathetic to my session and my husband and I'm re-traumatized again and now being repunished. Yeah. At a different level.
0: Yeah. I mean, you just don't
1: have the luxury of using that
0: system exactly in that that such that that situation how has the this experience of abuse and watching this abuse happen how has that impacted your view of male female dynamics roles quote roles female male female roles how has that affected your view of that what has changed for you
1: know yeah, well one thing is it's just ever before me you know in a way that it it wasn't before it's sad like you know growing up in the church I, I didn't think that way mm-hmm. and and now i I'm so aware that when I speak I speak as a woman you know <laughs> to you know a male authoritative group mm-hmm. it's ever before me and so but I don't know like I want I have two different parts of me, I guess, you know, there's the one part of me that wants to say like, we can do better than this. And you know, that and that's in my writing a lot. Like I, I, I really just want to have a conversation here about, here is the perspective from a laywoman who is theologically inclined and in is writing about discipleship and has now been clobbered, you know? Yeah. Um, here's what I've learned about the process and <laughs> going through that. But not only that, you know now i see like with all these these other it's not i'm not an isolated case it's all over the place and it's it's systemic and so yeah i i'm seeing that like even in the trials there's not there's not a uh, victim impact statement during the trial like you have that in secular court but you don't have that in ecclesial trials so i mean the victim could basically be absent and something that's completely affecting them you know unless they're called as a witness or something but you know in my own Uh, Local church trial, I was asked that question. It was inserted in. I was a witness and I was asked the question, How has this impacted you? But since it was, you know, a a witness, you know, and I thought it was wonderful for them to ask me that question, I was cut off the whole time with objection, 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 you know, while I'm speaking. And that kind of messes you up a little bit. It ices you a little or whatever. Yeah. But so I'm just seeing the different dynamics between power and and male and female voice. And the, the book I'm working on now that's coming out next March is called The Sexual Reformation, Restoring the Dignity and Personhood of Man and Woman. And I have a whole chapter in there on male and female voice. The whole book, I'm kind of working in the Song of Songs, mm-hmm. which has just really ministered to me through all this. I mean, I really think that it just... It's, that's the, the holy of holies of scripture. It's just like where Christ is present with his people. We get that whole, I think it invites us into it like an, an eschatological imagination. And we enter into the sto- the great story that all of scripture is telling. But you see this really interesting dynamic between the man and the, the male and the female voice. I mean, it's very mutual, but not only that, it's, it's dynamic, it's fructifying And the the female voice is drawn out, like it's dominant. It it opens and closes the song. It's um, over 60% of the song is female voice. But also you have the man who, you know, represents Christ saying, let me hear your voice twice. Mm. You know, and I just find that so encouraging. Mm. Why aren't we doing that as the church? You know, the song itself is very evangelical and, and he's calling the, the bride, the church to be evangelical. But, mm. you know, we make up more than half of the church as women and we our bodies actually represent, you know, the collective bride of Christ, exactly. what we are all to become. Yeah. yeah. So to me, that just totally transforms the way we should be thinking
0: about women and women's voice. Yeah. And I would say, I would venture to say that that is, the very definition of the purpose of power is using your power to give voice to people who don't have it. It's that's what it's meant for. I mean, it's not supposed to be
1: power over and dominating. It's supposed to be power to, you're giving power to others. You're promoting their holiness.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: we need, we need all the voices.
0: All the voices. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that goes back to that Trinity debate, the eternal subordination of the sun debate, too, <laughs> which is why that's so important because <laughs> um, right. it's a, it's a misuse of power and, and it defends use of power. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess how does, how is your personal stance just on, is that it would, is that how you would classify your personal stance on the male, female debate within churches?
1: Are you talking about leadership or like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Just, yeah. And leadership. Yeah. I mean, I think I still have growing to do in that area. I still see, I still kind of agree with some of the early church fathers depiction of the pastor being kind of like John the Baptist identifies himself as the best man, you know, bringing the gifts to the bride. I do see, you know, something masculine in representation there. However, I do think the way that it's set up now shuts the woman's voice out. I I think there's many more ways to incorporate lay people and their voices in the church and men and women. And yeah, I think that our to me there's just, you know, there's all these different intricate layers to it. It isn't just the question of who can lead and where, but you know, what leadership actually looks like, you know, kind of that power too that you were talking about and what what masculinity even represents. Which I would say is, you know, the first to serve, the first to love, the first to give. That's what it's supposed to represent. That's what's Christ-like, you know, and and in our typology, which is so vivid in the song, the woman, you know, she represents the second order. She represents Artelos as the bride of Christ, but Zion itself, she's tied to. And so she kind of represents the realm of where we're headed, sacred space and Man represents the means that we're getting there, which is, you know, this Christ-likeness, this laying down his own life, kind of the whole economy of Christ's work. So, you know, in that way I can see male representation in that role of preacher, but that doesn't mean that women don't, you know, have exhortation in their function in a lot of ways. And, and shouldn't be invited to do that. And I don't understand how even in scripture and in Corinthians, you know, the, the biggest section we have on, on corporate worship, we've got women praying corporately, leading in prayer, and we've got women pro- prophesying. So how does that translate to the church today? You know, we should at least be reading scripture and praying in, right. in corporate worship. And, you know, we've got these house church scenes, which are very feminized you know, mm-hmm. we hear all this complaining about feminization of the church. Well, look at the early church. Uh, okay. the church was made up of more than two thirds women in a society that was made up of over 70% men. Mm. So there was there something
0: the was about feminist. it drawing
1: women. <laughs> it, it will, first of all, there's something about it drawing women. And, Also, I think that they were very welcome. They were a huge part of the spread of Christianity. Often you see in the the history that it was like secondary conversions is what it's called. It's like the women come in and then their husbands get converted. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't, their children are considered holy, Paul tells us, right? Mm -hmm. So they're spreading and multiplying the faith in that way. They're very involved in the ministry with Paul, with Christ. You know, most of the house churches that we have listed in scripture were, you know, women's houses, Mm -hmm. women's households the household was the the realm of woman management okay like so you're bringing them into the woman's space by having the house churches you know she she managed the household so there's just you know the language that we use today is ridiculous no one was complaining about the feminization of early Christianity (laughs) they were actually very happy with it and you know Paul when he shows up thinking you know he has this vision of these men needing help and he shows up and he finds Lydia, he's not like, oh, well, where's the men? He starts a church, you know, yeah. they plant a church. So, it's just very interesting the language that we use now about women in the church and it's, you know, very fear-based and the way that that women were such a part of the early church. And I think that's what my writing has been about. Like, mm-hmm. what is discipleship and what does a disciple do? And it's so strange to me to get so much vitriol Because you're not
0: even saying what they're afraid you're saying.
1: No, and but that's just the thing. It's like when
0: woman is a slippery slope, just by being. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you can't give her agency and freedom. Yeah, no, and it's not a new story. It's an old story. It just repeats every generation, every generation. Yeah. I mean, I
1: really, you know, we've come a long way in some ways. We can, but you know, it hasn't. I just read it hasn't even been fifty. 50 years since women have been able to open up their own credit card account. 50 years? Yeah. You know, that was a big deal for like women in abusive marriages or something like that needing to get out. You know, she couldn't get a loan. She couldn't get a credit card. So, I mean, we've come, we've come a long way, <laughs> but I think, and there's, you know, women and men have paid a big price to get here. Mm-hmm. And, but I think, you know, for me, I'm not trying to be man bashing, or even like woman empowerment. I'm just talking about reciprocity. Yeah. And and the need for that and the dynamism in it. And I see that as 100% biblical. And I want us to have our focus on where we're headed in in the church. It's God's household. We're brothers and sisters. Let's treat one another, you know, for the eternal beings that we are Mm -hmm. and in Christ. I mean, it seems pretty basic. Yeah. So, I mean, I just feel like, I don't know. I, I still think that there can be, and, and will be change. Yeah. Even though there'll always be sin, there's always going to be oppression. There's always going to be these things. Right. But I do think that, you know, there has been change. (laughs) It's come at great costs and there will be more change. It's -hmm. going to come at great costs and, you know, hopefully we don't move backwards anymore. I feel like we've, I feel like we've really been moving backwards.
0: Yeah. Especially with the, the abuse on, The abuse exposure on the rise. uh, Yeah. And
1: finally women, that's the exciting thing is that finally women through social media have a voice. Mm -hmm. They might not have a voice in the church. They might have no way of of expressing and exposing of getting justice, but now they have a voice on social media and that is huge. But, you know, what my last article that, you know, kind of opened up talking about is just I'm calling for this humility in our own denomination, in my denomination to say, like, there are, there's all these abuse cases coming forward. We need help, we need professional yeah. help. Yeah. And I, I think the victims themselves like deserve this. You know, So many of them have left the denomination, you know, because they had no support. Now they have no way of coming forward with charges or anything, because they're yeah. not a member. They deserve to be validated in the sense that it is so healing to hear from a professional, like this was abuse. Absolutely. Because what they're hearing from the leaders is that the problem was them, over and over
0: again. So from, um, the leaders.
1: Yeah. And so they they carry that baggage. They carry that burden with them still, mm-hmm. even though they know it's not true. It's still we- it weighs, and you know mm-hmm. if that's how pe- the, the congregation looks at them. You know, and and everything else. So you know to be able to have that validation would be huge for their healing to, to have the support from our denomination to say, we care about you mm-hmm. we care about what's been done to you. Not only do we want, cause you know, I can't investigate all these stories. <laughs> right. And, and that they deserve an investigation to say, we care about you. This deserves an investigation. That way, we can see laid before us what's going on here at some percentage, anyway, of anyone who's come forward. And then to, you know, invite a third party professional to, to give an assessment of how can we, you know, how are we harming victims in our system? How can we care for victims better and the vulnerable better? How can we prevent this kind of stuff and walk well beside them through it, you know, in the process? Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to change the whole book of church order, you know, right.
0: there, there's
1: some pretty simple things probably you can do for reform.
0: Right. Yeah. That raises a question that's been coming up a lot, just even just in the past couple of weeks that I know we're getting on time. We're, I'm almost done. The, this question that's coming up because this is starting to happen too, and I'm starting to hear more stories about this too. And this also happened at the church that I left a year ago. The people who end up pulling in the third parties are the people in power. And so Mm -hmm. they're the ones paying the bill. They're the ones choosing the people that they're bringing in and, and they're not qualified to make, or it's often like a lawyer team that is really there to protect them. Yes. That's why
1: I specifically recommended Grace in my, they're the only one
0: I would say, (laughs) they're the only one that has a very specific victim-centric approach. The only yes. time- that It I has to be that.
1: a victim-centric approach. Yeah. you yeah. pretty much said it. it. It, they have their own interest often and it's usually about image repair. Yeah. And no. so it looks like they're doing something. It looks like they're bringing in a third party and they're really paying someone to come in and kind of validate themselves. And, you know, and, and that's the sad part is that like victims who are asking for a third party are willing to put it all out there, you know, Mm -hmm. investigate me, you know? And so it's, it's, it's so sad. Yeah. Because these are the people who are called to care for the sheep. Mm -hmm. They're called to lay their lives down not you know, protect themselves and give themselves cover. It is the opposite of shepherding, right? It's like anti shepherding.
0: It is anti-shepherding. It is. Well, I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. I know it has come to great personal cost for you. Is there anything I could do to support
1: you? I don't think you can make the OPC higher grace, but
0: um, that's
1: what I'm looking for right now. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to see some correct course here. You hear these stories from victims and they are atrocious and you just, can't believe that that's happening to people in the church yep absolutely. and we can have you know check our theology down the list but i, I don't believe you if, right. if there's no love and no christ in the
0: way that you shepherd and treat people mm-hmm. well thank you for all that you do thank you for what you've endured and <laughs> i am supporting you <laughs> well thanks for having me on thanks for coming on and i hope you have a really awesome day okay thanks you too All right talk to you later bye Bye. thanks so much for joining us today uncertain is the affiliate podcast of tears of eden a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse if you're enjoying this podcast please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review. And don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Catherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.